The following audio is recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I want to thank you for singing. Thank you. Um, We are stepping, like I said, into our last week of Advent uh, this morning starts it as we look toward Christmas. We started with hope, then we moved to peace. Last week we looked at joy, and today we look at, um, we look at love. We focus on love. Um, listen, there may not be any bigger word in the English language than love. Um, we look at love, and, and I think it is basically the exact opposite of what we faced last week with joy. If you remember last week when we looked at joy, there's a good chance that joy for you is a December word, that you don't use joy very often until December rolls around and um, you put out Christmas decorations. Um, Or maybe you don't use joy until you get to that Bible verse that says the word joy, but you you don't really talk much about joy, right? Um, Joy is underused, but here's the thing. Love is exactly the opposite. We use love all the time. Um, we say it, we use it from everything, from the big to the small. It means everything and it means nothing. All at the same time, we love our spouse. We love potato and egg breakfast tacos. <laughs> we love our God. We love Got to say coffee again. Uh, we love coffee. We, we love our kids, our church, our car. We love our sport. We love our school. We love Texas because we're Texans and we love Texas. Um, we love, 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 love. Love is it's everywhere. Love is everywhere. Artists sing about it, especially if you're a country music artist. You sing about it a lot. In fact, I can't tell you how many times when studying for this sermon, I wanted to break out in a song or a line of a song. I didn't, but a song line came into my head. Love is everywhere. Artists sing about it. Authors write about it. Pastors preach about it. Filmmakers make film after film after film about it. Hallmark exists for one purpose. (laughs) To make films. Simple love movies. We love love. We love love. And yet, because it means everything, it can start to mean nothing all at the same time. And uh, in a moment like this, as we come to the Word of God and we're about to read what God's Word says about love, it's important that um, we talk about, we define our terms a little bit. What are we actually talking about when we say love? Uh, Better question, what does the Bible mean when the Bible uses this word love? Um. Unfortunately, the English language does not help us at all, at all. Uh, The English language is what I kind of think about as a big bucket, big bucket language, which means um, one word can carry so many different meanings, so many different nuances. One word is packed. That's English. In fact, um, I, I, I... I copy and pasted the dictionary definition for love. 
That's awesome. I don't expect you to read all that. You can look it up. You can Google it on your own. But what this shows you is just how impressive this, word, this little four-letter word is. It means so much. So the question is, when the Bible says love, which one of those bullets is it talking about? What are we talking about when we say love? Well, fortunately for us, the Bible was not written in English originally. I'm grateful for that. Um, it was written in, a, in Greek, Koine Greek. And, and what I love about Greek is it's not a big bucket language. It's much more specific. It says what it means. One word doesn't mean 90 things. It means maybe two things. Um, and, and, and so it helps us. In fact, as you think about um, love in the Greek language, there are eight different words that mean love. Some would argue for even a ninth that mean love. Um, in fact, the, the, the New Testament uses four of them. Four different words, and they're all going to be L-O-V-E in your, in your copy of the Bible, but it uses four different words uh, for love. So we see eros. This is that, that romantic love, the love that you have with your spouse, eros. Um, we have philia. Think of Philadelphia, the city. <laughs> I really teed that up. Okay. Um, the city of what? Brotherly love. Philia is this, uh, this, this love of a friend, of a brother. It's, it's brotherly love. This is the love that Jesus uses in the New Testament when he talks about his affection for his disciples. Love. Brotherly love. Then we have storge. Sorge is a um, familial love. It is, a, it is the love that you have for your parents. Um, another way to think about this is, is natural love, brothers, sisters. And then there's another one. And I bet you, you've heard of this one. This one's, this one's quite popular. Um, we have agape. Agape love. Agape love is what we often call unconditional love. It's selfless love. It's sacrificial love. It is the kind of love that we're supposed to have for even our enemies. Um, it's the kind of love that whenever the word of God says God loves you, that four-letter word love is agape. This is the kind of love our God has for you. Agape. Um, by the way, all of these loves have their place. All of them have their place. Um, but this agape love is this deep, powerful, long-suffering love of God. In fact, um, it's the kind of love that Scripture uses in the love chapter. Do you know what the love chapter is? There's a good chance, if you got married, this was read at your because it's a love chapter. It's 1 Corinthians 13. And in 1 Corinthians 13, before we get to our text, which is not 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to be in 1 John. But before we get there, I want to read the love chapter, the love section, um, because I, I believe it's going to set up our time together really, really well. And we're going to come back through it, uh, to it through our time. Um, and so I want to read this. As I read it, I want you to just kind of take it in. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And um, by the way, any time 
the word love is in this verse that I am about to read. It's the fourth one. It's agape. Okay, every time. Every time. Here's the love chapter. Love, agape, is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's agape. That's agape love. Agape love. And we're going to come back to this, but with the love chapter, with that in your mind, um, I want us to turn together to our text, which, as I said, is not 1 Corinthians, it's 1 John. So if you could go with me to 1 John, we're going to be in 1 John 4, way back to the very end of your Bibles. You can scroll with me and uh, flip with me there. Uh, 1 John 4, 19, our text is very, very short. Um, We're talking six words, six very powerful words. 1 John 4, 19, here's what God's word says to us. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. We, that's a, that's us. So in this context in, in, in 1 John, the we here is the church. The we here are, are we who are in Christ together as the church, brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus. That's the we. So when you see the we, it's you. It's we. It's us. Um, and John says, we love. That's agape. We agape. And so we just, we read 1 Corinthians um, 13. So what John is saying here is, look, church, we can have that 1 Corinthians 13 love. We love, we show 1 Corinthians 13 love. We show a love that is patient and a love that is kind. We show a love that does not envy or boast, not arrogant, not rude, doesn't insist on its own way, not irritable, resentful, doesn't rejoice at wrong, but rejoices with the truth. A love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. A love that never, ever, ever ends. We can agape. We agape. We have that kind of love. And how is it that we have that kind of love? Well, because. Because he first loved us. Got another pronoun. He. Who is he? Well, in this text in 1 John, he is our God. And in this text, we see that John is unpacking the love of God that we see in Jesus Christ. John is telling us about the love of God that was demonstrated for us in sending his son. When we see Christ, we see agape. We agape because he, our God, first agaped us. I want to pause and just simmer in that for a second. We agape because our God first agaped us. Your God first loved you. And I want to I want to make this kind of personal. And I want to come back to come back to the love here. 
What this means is that your God loved you with that love before you ever loved him. You agape, you know agape because your God first agape you. In other words, you know 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love and you can walk in that love with your spouse and with people. Like you know that kind of love. Why is it that you know that? Because your God, 1 Corinthians 13, loved you. That's how we know it. In other words, your God loves you with a love that is patient and a love that is kind. I could go to so many places in Scripture, but uh, Psalm 86 says it plainly. But you, O Lord, are, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's God's love for you, patient and kind. God's love does not envy or boast, not arrogant or rude, doesn't insist on its own way. Oh my goodness, I, I can't not read Philippians 2 here. Listen to what Scripture says about Jesus. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant as yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of Death, even death on a cross. That, church, is agape love. That's 1 Corinthians 13 love. That he didn't insist his own way. Instead, Scripture says he emptied himself, giving himself, giving his life. That is agape. God loves you with a love that is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. His love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And his love, his agape love, never ends. Ever. Again, I could go to so many places, but Scripture says in Psalm 136.1, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Forever. We love because he loved us. This is this crazy, unconditional, never ending, selfless love of God. God demonstrated his agape love through sending Jesus. Demonstrated his love. He agaped us. I want to narrow in on one word together, okay? We've talked about every word in this, in this six word verse. Uh, we talked about our pronouns, the we and the us. That's us. That's the church, right? We've, um, we've talked about the he. That's our God, our perfect God. That's our God. We've talked about love. This is agape, 1 Corinthians 13. We love the church. We love, we agape because our God loved us. But what about that word first? I would argue that this is the pivotal word of this text the word first. I would argue that this is what it all kind of hinges on. We love not just because he loved us. We love because he first loved us. That means his love church is prior. It's first, it proceeds. God's agape love for us precedes our love for him. 
or for each other for that matter. From this, I want to I wanna pull out and I want to make sure that we understand three huge implications of that one word, first. Um, three huge implications. And the first is this, love's source. Where does love begin? Where does love originate? Well, agape love doesn't come, now, no matter how lovely you may be, that didn't come from you, didn't originate with you. It didn't come from me or anything else in all of creation. Agape love is from our God. In fact, in the text right before ours, in verse 16, John makes this crazy statement that not only does God have love or show love, he makes this crazy statement that God is love. God is agape. That, that just... So wherever you see love, agape love in creation, it flows out from the creator. It has a source, and it's outside of ourselves. And so that means, I want, to, I want you to think about this. That means when you see or when you have agape love for each other, when you have love for our God, listen, you are imaging your God in that moment. You're imaging. You are living into your identity as an image bearer of your God. Uh, Genesis says that you were created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. What does that mean? Well, that means that our agape love images his agape love because our God is the source of love. It has a source. Love has a source, and that is our God. But I want to move into the second one. That one's obvious, I think. The second one is important, love's assurance. Um, I want you to think back to the dating days. They're horrible. Uh, scary times, I know. Um, and if you're in those days right now, this too shall pass. Just you, you got. Um, but if you think about those days, there is a crazy fear um, that comes along with that season. And it's this, this, this fear that we feel deeply when we like a person, when we feel affection for another person, um, and we're not quite sure if that is going to be reciprocated. It's a tough place to be. Some of you just shuddered a little bit. Um, there's a doubt that we wrestle with when we're not quite sure what she's going to say. When you're not quite sure how they're going to feel, how they're going to respond. If you've ever been there, there's always that going out on a limb moment. You've got to stick your neck out there, right? And um, by the way, the, the huge pet peeve of mine, huge pet peeve of mine is in the movies, the way uh, proposals are often portrayed. I hate this. Um, you can tell I'm not like a Hallmark fan, but um, no offense. Um, but it's always portrayed. It, it's crazy. This guy, you know, he drops to his knees. He pulls out the ring, pops the question. And in that moment, there's this legitimate fear as to whether or not she's going to say yes. Because it's like they've never talked about it before. <laughs> Drives me crazy. Drives me crazy. Um, I know that we're meant to be kind of on the edge of our seats in those moments. Not quite sure, right? Um, but listen, I'm all up for surprising with a proposal. I know many of you have done that. I just don't know if I'm up to surprising her with the idea of marriage in general. 
And it just, it's a pet peeve of mine. And, and maybe it's just because I'm, I'm not brave enough. Um, would never have done it like that. And I'm never going to recommend to do it. Because why? There is this fear, there is this doubt that, that what if the love I am showing, and in the movies it's always public, um, what if the love that I'm publicly showing, what if it's not reciprocated? What if it's not returned? What if it just dies there? Um, I think it gets to the, the heart of a primary fear that we have as human beings, and that is the fear of unreciprocated love. The fear of unreciprocated love. There's really nothing worse than the fear of not knowing if the love is going to be returned. Um, okay, with that in mind, 1 John 4.19 tells us something incredibly powerful, doesn't it? Unreciprocated love is not possible with your God. It's not possible. It's, why? Because he first loved you. There, he made the first move. He is the first mover. He demonstrated his great love for you first. And that means you never have to fear that you will love him and yet be rejected. You never have to fear that you will come to him and be stiff-armed, ignored, That fear is gone because he loved you first and he demonstrated his great love for you while you were still a sinner by sending his son to die for you, Romans 5. He loved you first and so the fear of unreciprocated love is dead through Jesus Christ. He loved you first. The gospel is all about your God demonstrating his love for you first. It's about God loving the unlovable. So now, you and I, we don't have to fear unreciprocated love with our God. I can't help you with your dating, but that's really good news with our God. And what does that mean? Well, it means that not only does our love have a source, it's God, but what it means is that our love has assurance, assurance Um, that means that we can be confident, completely confident in the love that our God has for us because he's already demonstrated it. It's why in in Hebrews 4, it says, let us draw near to the throne in confidence. In confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why do we have that confidence? Why is it that we can have that kind of assurance that we come to him when we draw near to him? How do we have that kind of confidence? Well, it's because he loved you first. And he demonstrated his great love for you first. So we have confidence in our fear of unreciprocated one-way love just dies through the demonstrated love of God through Jesus Christ. Such good news. Love has a source. Love has assurance because he loved us first. Now, I want to talk about love's affection. Um, Why is it that when we think about love, we think of the lovey-dovey feelings? Why is it that we think about the affection, that feeling in the pit of our stomach, that overwhelming affection that all those country music artists sing about nonstop? Whether it be in the breakup song, where it's gone, or in the love song, where they swoon 
Why is that? It's because love often produces in us this feeling of affection. And you can nudge your spouse here. It's okay. Um, this feeling of, of affection. Um, but here's the thing. I am not saying that love is that affection. That love is that. Love is so much more than that feeling. Um, in fact, for anyone who has ever been in a loving relationship, whether it be with a spouse or a friend or your children or whoever, you know that feeling is wonderful, right? How many know it's not consistent? It's just not consistent. There are moments when we feel the love, and there are also moments when we seek to show the love that maybe we are struggling to feel. Um, We know that. I'm going to pick on my boys. I don't think any of them are in the room, so I can pick on them. But I know my boys love me. I really do. Um, They love me as their dad. I believe that. And I also believe that there are times when they feel that love. Uh, When they come and I can tell. They, They feel the love. But here's the thing. There are other times when they are incredibly frustrated with me. There are times when I drive them crazy. And if their love, if love was all about that feeling, it would be so fleeting, so fleeting. Um, praise God that love is so much more than that affection that we feel. Here's the thing, though. I want to warn us, to, even though that's true, praise God, that's true. I, don't, I want to warn us to not swing the pendulum too far the other way. Um, Because love is also not cold and affectionless. So it's not all about the feelings, but it's also not cold and affectionless. When when someone shows you love, um, when someone demonstrates their love for you and you're the recipient, there is an affection that we feel. There is an affection that we feel. Um, When someone demonstrates their love for us, it's not even that we have to like, oh, I got to try really hard to feel good about that, right? It just, it it happens. It it bubbles up in response. In other words, when you chase the feeling of love, you often come up very disappointed. But because life is not a Hallmark movie, right? I'm picking on Hallmark today. Um, But when we love each other and experience love together, when we experience someone else's agape love demonstrated for us, there is this feeling of affection that often flows out of us naturally. In church, that is exactly what happens with us and our God. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Um, Jonathan Edwards, I think, is the most epic theologian in uh, American history. I don't even think there's like a close second on this one. Like, love it, in my opinion. Um, And in one of his most popular books uh, called Religious Affections, he says it like this. Um, Great hair, by the way. If the heart be chiefly and directly fixed on God and the soul engaged to glorify him, he says some degree of religious affection. So he puts it, that affection, that love will be the effect and the attendant of it. 
But then he gives this contrast. But to seek after that affection directly and chiefly, to have our heart principally set upon that, is to place it in the, in the place of God, to place it in the room of God and his glory. That's powerful. In other words, we don't worship the feeling of love. We don't idolize the feeling of, and, and the affection. But on the other side, true affection and true love flows out of the fact that our God first loved us. And he demonstrated his love through Christ. This is why it matters so much that we understand that he first loved you. There's a song that we sing here um, often called All I Have is Christ, and I love the way that it says this. Listen, listen to this. It says, I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. Have you been there? The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will, and if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. God loved you first. And our love and our affection for him flows out of his love for us, demonstrated through Jesus. Each week of Advent, whether it be you know, peace and hope and joy and today love, um, my goal has not to be up here to tell you to just try harder. Would you just try harder to be more, be more hopeful? Would you just try harder to be more peace and have more peace? Would you try harder to be joyful? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So each week of Advent, we've talked about the hope and the peace and the joy being byproducts of the work of Jesus on the cross. They flow out of it. They're byproducts. Well, church, 1 John 4, 19 makes it very clear that our love and our affection, it flows out of God's prior love for us. There's a commentator who says it like this. Affection, I'll put it up there. There we go. Affection can easily flow from a heart filled with gratitude for God's initiation of love toward us. There is an affection that we feel, that we experience when we understand the love of God that he demonstrated for us, that your God loved you first. It's exactly what Jesus says. He gives us this command in John 13. Jesus gives us this, this command, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people, they're gonna know your mind. They're gonna know you're my disciples if you love have love for one another. Here, Jesus is driving us to the same truth of 1 John 4, 19. Notice here, Jesus says, love each other, agape, love each other. And then he says, love each other just as I have loved you. Church, that, that's past tense. Loved you first. And, and we're here, we love because he first loves us. Our command is to love one another, but our love for our God and our love for others. It doesn't originate in us and us trying real hard. It comes because he first loved us. When we understand the gospel, then it's possible to understand how to love each other. Love has a source. And that source is our God. Agape is from him. Love has assurance because he first loved you. He was the first. Unreciprocated love is now not possible through Jesus Christ. 
and, and love has affection. Because when we look to Christ, we understand his great love for us. And from there, our hearts can rise up with gratitude and affection for the God who loved us first. It's from that, it's when we understand that, that we're then able to love each other. God's love is prior. The love of our God makes our love for him and each other possible. Um, To just say it again, we love because he first loved us. This Christmas, we celebrate the prior love of God. The prior love of God, the love he demonstrated through sending his son to the earth. So I want to leave you with a challenge, okay? Here's the challenge. Um, Every time, so this week is leading up to Christmas, every time. One of you need to do this, okay? This is a real challenge. Every time you see a nativity scene, see a manger, a Christmas decoration on a house or a shirt or your mantle or whatever, whenever you see it, whenever you hear a song about it or see the decorations, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think and maybe even say out loud if you're not going to come across too weird. He loved me first. Every time, okay? Someone please do this, okay? Someone please do this. Every time you see it, he loved me first. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you, in fact, loved us first. You are so good. This text just meets us right where we are. And I pray for all my brothers and sisters here, whether we feel lovable or not, that's not really what matters. What matters is the truth that you have given us in your word that says that while we were dead in our sin, you demonstrated your great love for us by sending your son. We stand on the truth that you so loved the world that you sent Jesus, that whosoever believes would not perish, but have eternal life. We stand on the completed work of Jesus, knowing that he has demonstrated his great love for us. God, and from that, would you help us to live out 1 Corinthians 13, that love for each other. From that, would you help us to live out John 13 and Jesus' new command to us to love one another. From that, God, would you just, this week, would you remind us that you loved us first. In Jesus' name, amen.